Sunday morning, Northgate. It's time to get into God's Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Just encourage and exhort for your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. So this week we're starting a new book, Back to the Old Testament, after being in the New Testament for a little bit. We're going to look at the book of 1 Samuel. There's two books called Samuel in the Old Testament, you might know, first and second. And in the original Hebrew, they were one book we're going to see. And Samuel really is a transition book taking the Israelites when they're in the promised land. You might remember we studied Joshua, how they entered in the promised land. Joshua's the leader. He's died. Judges have taken over and there's a cycle of Israel becoming a country of idol worship. And then a judge is raised up to rescue them from the oppression that they get from the other nations because of their sin. And Samuel, who will be the last judge, is going to take them into a nation of kings, starting with Saul. So that's why after those first five books of the Old Testament, you would have Joshua leading them into the land right? Judges, the story of many judges in the land because they don't have a king. Tiny little love story, Ruth in there. And then you enter into 1 Samuel. As we begin this book, and I love to teach this book, I'll just say it's one of my favorites, is you have to see where Samuel comes from. Who is he? Well, he's going to be the last judge. He's going to be a prophet. In some ways, a priest, really important character. Where does he come from? And that's where we come to chapter one. I'm not going to read the whole chapter this morning, but maybe I'll describe it and read some sections for you. But in the book, we meet a man called Elkanah. Now, Elkanah is from the tribe of Levi, though it doesn't say that, but he's living in the hills of the tribe of Ephraim. So he is a Levite in one of the cities for the for the priests living in the Ephraimite hills. He has two wives. Now we don't suggest that, but we know in the Old Testament it was not what God wanted, but he allowed and he had two wives, one Paniah who could have children and one called Hannah who could not. By the way, Hannah means um, grace or God's grace. Um, so that's important because you can really see God's grace and favor upon her life. But at the beginning of our story, Elkanah with these two wives, Hannah can't have children. So her, I don't know, you call your enemy or the other wife, Paniah, continually making fun of her. And in the chapter, they go to worship on a yearly basis to a place called Shiloh, where the tabernacle of the Lord would have been. And at that time, there's another important character that we're going to lead off the book with, and his name is Eli. Eli was the priest, and he had two sons, Hophnius and Phineas, And they were just flat out wicked. So at the time, Eli's maybe trying to control them. He is the 
lead priest at the time and things aren't going well and God knows this and has to deal with it. But back to Elkanah, Hannah, Paniah, as they go to this yearly feast to worship and the Lord has closed her womb, she's provoked. And Elkanah says to her, why are you so upset? I love you. Am I not worth more than 10 sons? Well, doesn't every husband <laughs> say that? I, uh, I'm better than the kids, right? Well, maybe sometimes, maybe not others. Anyways, Hannah's quite disturbed in verse 9, and she goes to where Eli is at the tabernacle, uh, not even knowing he's there, he's at the doorpost of the tabernacle. And in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul, just made fun of, her identity at the time is in having children because that was the culture of the day. So in bitterness of soul, she prays to the Lord and she weeps in anguish. At this point, she makes a vow with God. If you will give me a child and look at my affliction and remember me, I will give him back to you. It says in verse 11, I will give him to the Lord. No razor shall touch his head. Now that's where we get the idea of baby dedications, where we give our children back. Lord, they're yours. If you'll give them to us, we want you to have them. As she's praying in kind of in anguish and talking to the Lord, it says in verse 12 that Eli, who's at the doorpost of the Lord, notices her and is upset because he thinks she's drunk. Well, specifically, it says she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved in verse 13, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Now, Hannah responds to this uh, not in a good way in verse 15, in an honest way. It says, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant wicked, for the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken. Then Eli said, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. At this point, Hannah does go away. It says that she ate and was no longer sad. No answer at this point. In verse 19, her and Elkanah and the family rise early in the morning and they worship before the Lord and they returned to their home at Ramah. It says Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. He answers her prayer and it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord and Samuel um, one meaning of that name is heard, that God heard. Uh, and that's going to be an important um, definition of name as we're going to follow Samuel because he can hear God so well too. But as we continue, there's the promise you get of giving back. She's had the child. So years later, she says in verse 26, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord 
So they worship the Lord together. And in chapter two, we see some of Hannah's worship and praise. She says, my heart rejoices. My horn or my strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you there, nor is there any rock like our God. And just continues on to praise the Lord. And so we have this amazing story of how Samuel comes to be from his mother's just intense prayers. Of course, we know God's sovereign and he has a plan in this, and I'll get to that in a moment. But every time I look at this chapter and teach this chapter, man, I think of prayer. I think of the gift we have to cry out to the Lord in anguish. It's okay to ask God he wants to hear. <laughs> I heard a funny quote this week. It says, you know, God doesn't always read our Facebook posts, but he always hears our prayers. And I thought, wow, so true. We need to be praying more and more and from our heart. Oh, man, just honesty with the Lord. But just three things about prayer in this chapter that came to my mind. If prayer is important, also, as you read through the chapter and from the story I've told of the chapter, you'll see that worship is important and just putting those things together is we need to be worshiping in our times of prayer so often prayer um, can be our lists can be what we want um, can be listening in some ways to god for answers or direction but you know what we need to be praising and worshiping in prayer I don't think we should separate them, but there has to be a chunk of time as we simply worship. And you see in this chapter, just three ways of worship. I love at the beginning how it says this man, Elkanah and his wives, they went yearly to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. We need to continually be giving our worship to God. Now it's yearly here, but I just take that and I would say daily, monthly, a consistency in praising God in our times alone with God. Whether things are going well or things aren't going well, prayer needs to be worship as well, that we can go to God and minister unto him and bless his name just to continually worship and hear this consistency of yearly going to do it, whether she had this child or not, she would worship and how beautiful that is. Secondly, we need to worship in prayer continually, but not only that, but I would say even before, if we're asking God for things, we need to praise and worship him before the answer. So, She's there crying out to God, and Eli says, listen, God heard you. Um, there's no child yet, by the way. She's just hearing from a priest who does not have a great reputation at this point. Things aren't going well in the, in the priesthood. But she hears, okay, God is going to answer. God hasn't answered at, the point, at this point. And in verse 19, 
it says this, they rose early in the morning and they worshiped. Okay, I don't see the answer. I believe God said he's going to answer. What's my response? To worship in faith. God, you are good. I'm going to worship you. And there's a discipline in that. Whether I think it's going to come or not, I'm going to worship even before any answers come consistently and in faith, believing that God hears me, I'm going to worship him. There's been so many experiences in my life where God has really shown me this in a particular way. And one of them, I think I've mentioned quite a few times, but it's such an important lesson for me is when we moved to Canada, I had a, a long list, like, and I put it on the fridge of so many things we needed um, yeah, from provision and all sorts of things, from housing to uh, insurance for Amy to, to all these things um, just to survive. And I remember one night just burying my soul. God, how are you going to do this? We made this commitment to come to Canada and there's so much we don't have. And I just clearly had that sense from the Holy Spirit. Why don't you worship and thank me? Instead of being anxious and worrying, understand that I'm sovereign, I'm in control. And if I said something, you can believe me. So at that point, the next day I went, we didn't have a lot of resources, but bought some subs for the kids. They were really young. Stefan at the time was only seven or eight. And here came dad, who was still teaching at school, um, coming home uh, with... <laughs> We didn't usually eat out or have that privilege and coming home with these subs and chips and soda. And what are we doing, Dad? Well, we are worshiping and praising God for the answers of those prayer requests that are on the fridge. And Stefan was a pretty wise child at seven. But God, uh, but God hasn't answered yet, Dad. What are you doing? We should celebrate after. But no, we're going to worship before. We're going to praise him for those answers but even if those answers don't come the way we want them to come we're going to worship our god who is worth all of our praise amen such an important thing consistently and we worship believing and trusting in the answer and celebrating even if it doesn't come the way we want well, it does come the way she wants for Hannah. And maybe the really hard part is when you've received an answer is giving it back to the Lord. Could you imagine moms and dads after waiting so long, giving this one back and having someone else raise this child? And God had that for a plan. But I find it very interesting in chapter 1, verse 28. I've lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He may be lent to the Lord so they worshiped the Lord there in prayer. God, you've answered. It's actually not even about the answer because I give it back to you in worship and you are bigger than the answer, God. And when she gives her prayer, note some of the things she says. No one is holy like the Lord. I'm sure she's thanking the Lord for Samuel, but even giving him back no one is like the Lord. There is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. 
and you see her prayer there and she is excited how God um, protects her or brings her something against her enemy, Paniah. But in verse 10, I read and noted this week and, and, and read another commentary how it says, he will give, this is her last line of her worship and praise, he will give God strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And you might be saying, oh yeah, for the king of the time, and God's doing that, and maybe Samuel will be king. No, Samuel doesn't become king. Samuel does anoint kings, but there's no king at this time. So I find it very interesting, what is she talking about in her praise and worship that is going to give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed? It's prophetic to Jesus Christ. I just... It's amazing as we worship in our prayer consistently in faith, as we give things back to him, it all comes back to Jesus. And we praise God for Jesus and that God gave him strength as king and anointed him and praise the Lord for that. So as you pray, would you worship the Lord? It's so important. Give him praise in your prayer for what you don't have or what you do have. Remember, as you're asking him for things, worship, believing and trusting that God hears you and that he will answer. And as he does give you the things you pray for, as you're praying for the things that are his heart as well, we give him thanks as we give back all the good gifts he has given us in praise and worship, always giving praise to Jesus. Just a couple more quick lessons about prayer. So worship, those three things for you. Um, I find it amazing here in this little section that we're focused on Hannah's life and it is tremendously important in this lesson of prayer and um, how she's calling out to God and how God answers. And But you know what? I just want to let you know, sometimes our prayers are so small and so focused on our life, but God sees a much bigger picture. Note this. This was really important for Hannah. Obviously, we've talked about that. But God had a plan to save his nation from another nation, the Philistines, to raise up a judge, to raise up a prophet, to raise up one who would lead the nation, to anoint the next kings, to save this nation from evil. So as Hannah was thinking, wow, I need this child just for my personal reasons, for my identity, for where I am at, God is answering her but he's thinking way bigger. And his plan is way more. Reminds me of Ephesians 3, that God can do more than we can think or imagine. And we're so limited sometimes as we're asking God to answer prayer. But would you think and understand that your God is so big that even in some of the answers he's bringing, he's meeting the needs of others and he's working in ways and that should persuade us and challenge us to pray and believe that God is up to something way greater than we can think or 
even imagine. And I just think, how big is your God when you pray? How big is your God? There's many times in my life where I thought, God, answer this, answer, answer this. Um, I can just remember thinking, be, uh, Lord, affect Lanark County for, at the beginning in discipleship and bring disciples for uh, Lanark County, that we could affect Lanark County. And God has brought us people to be discipled at North Cape from all over the world. Germany, people serving the Lord in Germany. He brought us GR um, from Iraq and Carter from Sudan. He's brought us people from China, just little Northgate, just one person at a time. People even having the joy to invest in those who, a little part of the lives of those in Alberta, of those who have gone here or there. And just my prayer, all oh, help Lanark County. God's like, well, maybe one person at a time, I'm going to affect other areas of this big world. And what about you and how you think? And I guess I'm trying to get us out of our thought of, oh, my world, that God is bigger. And our prayers can be so much more effective and more powerful as we see how sovereign and good and big God is. I don't know, this encourages me to pray that God's up to something way bigger than I can even think of as I give my life to him, as I worship him continually in prayer, as I, I praise him, as, as I think of Jesus, as we ask him to move, that our God wants to move in incredible ways. Power of prayer. Power of prayer is bigger than anything we can think or imagine. We focus on Jesus. Just thirdly, and I love mentioning this, and this is something just however you want to apply it to your life. But when we pursue God in prayer, I think Hannah gave, gives us a great example. She just gave it all she had. She sought the Lord with her whole heart out of bitterness, out of anguish. She shared with God how she felt. There was no holding back. God, God, she cried out. And I think sometimes I'm way too reserved in prayer because I don't see God as wanting to hear me. But God does want to hear me and he wants to hear my heart. We're all different. We, ha we have all different personalities. Maybe you're not going to be one who's going to weep in anguish. But I guess my point is, are you giving it all of your heart? Are you truly crying out to him? However you do that. And no, listen, it happens differently later because Eli thinks she's drunk. And it says clearly that she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Doesn't mean it has to be loud all the time. We're different people. But the point is, am I believing? Am I invested? And I, am I completely, no matter how I express myself, engaged in giving God the things in my life that he needs to hear. Is that you? I just think sometimes prayer can become routine. Prayer can become academic. Prayer can become that we're saying the right words. But we have to go beyond that. It's a relational thing. 
where we have a God who wants to hear from us. And however we do it, we can give him all of our soul, all of our thoughts, all of our needs, and he wants to hear from us. How are you doing with that today? Can you honestly say as things pop up to your mind that you're seeking with all your heart to give them to the Lord? It ain't God's timing and we'll worship him no matter what. And God will do what he wants. But are you truly presenting however you do it with all your heart to the Lord? Don't hold anything back. In, in your way, give all to him in prayer. Praise God. So just review all these lessons in prayer to worship in prayer consistently, in faith, believing, worshiping when you haven't seen the answer. And when you do have the answer and you're giving things back to him, worship when it, when it's really hard in prayer. Uh, secondly, understand how big your God is. And God is working behind the scenes in ways that you don't know in your prayer life to answer in ways you can not even think or imagine God wants to use your prayers in big ways. So be encouraged to pray. And thirdly, give him all of your heart. However you do that, don't hold back. Don't be reserved, whether your lips move or not. Intensely give to the Lord. He wants to hear from you. Isn't he a good God? He wants to hear he wants to work for his glory. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the story of Hannah. Help us to learn and grow through it, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.